here we are uh, at the Oregon Brewers Festival. Uh, hello, Patrick. <laughs> hello, Jeff. How's it going? Good. Uh, this is our uh, first hour of beer tasting. There's not a big crowd yet. Uh, we've had a couple of beers, and we just went and grabbed a, a couple more to try those and share with you our experiences. That's right. So I went and got the uh, dogfish head, and I'm looking for a glancing blow English pale ale, uh, which is which is a very nice pale ale. It has nothing to do with England, as far as I can tell. Uh, it, it, it smells American. It looks as cloudy as uh, milkshake. It doesn't look like anything that ever, we ever tasted in England. <laughs> yes, it's uh, got a very distinct citra hop note, uh, which is very not English. Um, and uh, they say that it's malt forward, but I'm not really actually finding it to be malt forward. But uh, despite that, it's quite a nice, it's quite a nice uh, a pale ale. What about you? I agree. It is a, it is a very nice pale ale. It's quite enjoyable. In fact, I think it's of the beers we've tried so far, it's the one I like the best. I have Klamath Basin's uh, Spud Muffin Pale Ale made with 300 pounds of uh, <laughs> Oregon russet potatoes. <laughs> well, that's, that's, you know, that's a very common adjunct in, in brewing. That's, uh, that, yeah. Yes, common is one one adjective. All right, uh, it is um, unfortunately it's a it's a good looking beer, and it is actually a good tasting beer. But it mainly tastes like a, like a kind of hoppy pale ale. It's pretty uh, vivid hops, but I can't detect any spuds. Unfortunately, you get anything out of there? Reminds you of potato? No, I would never have guessed potato. Uh, but yeah, it is a it's a perfectly nice perfectly nice pale ale. All right, well we will come back to you in a little bit and uh, get some interviews with folks, and we will keep enjoying the fest. So we'll talk to you later. Welcome to the Beer Vana Podcast, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Uh, we're back again, this time our second in a two-part series on the Oregon Brewers Fest. Uh, with me, of course, is Jeff Allworth, author, author of Beer Bible from Workman Publishing. Oh, he's about to show me. Hey, you actually have the book in hand. <laughs> wow. But I bust that out live on, on, on pod. That's beautiful. You just get it? Yep. So it's, it's only available uh, on... Uh, for pre-order, unless you happen to be right here next to me, and then you can see the copy they sent me. Uh, it looks beautiful. Get your copy now. Thank you. Uh, is it still true that if you order through Pals? Yeah, I think so. You can get. I will sign any copy uh, ordered through Pals right now. They're offering signed copy editions. So I haven't signed any of them yet, but I, I assume they'll make me sit there and sign every single copy that uh, people have ordered. So good. Me, so uh, contribute to Jess Carpal Tunnel Syndrome yeah. by, by ordering <laughs> your copy now at Pals. Uh, and then uh, soon after, you'll have Cider Made Simple from Chronicle Publishing. That's right. Uh, you are Patrick Emerson, I professor am. of economics at Oregon State University. I am. And I think, uh, and you blog at um, Beeronomics. That's right. And you blog at uh, Beervana, and there's also the Beervana Facebook page, which is the best way to be in touch with us. Right. So that was an interesting and high, uh, high highly produced uh, intro we had there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, slightly above the normal crap that we uh, <laughs> that, that we serve to you, we 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 are we are uh, pushing, back in the studio toward mediocrity That's at every right. turn. That's right. <laughs> we are back in the studio here 
in the heart of Birvana, Portland, Oregon, uh, to uh, talk about our experience at the Oregon Brewers Fest, which is ongoing. If you're listening to this pod right right away, it's uh, w- this is now Friday, um, July 24th. The OBF is today, tomorrow, and Sunday still. Um, and you might be wondering why we're uh, devoting not one but two podcasts uh, to a fest that uh, I imagine a lot of you can't come to, although you should make it a point to come at some point. Um, part of the reason, of course, is that we're here and it's our fest and um, the name of the podcast is Beervana. And so we like to talk about beer, but also about local beer. But there's uh, a more general beery reason as well. Uh, yes. It's the I, – I, I wasn't expecting that handoff that we're, we're we're collapsing over. So here. we're back. We're back. We, we were mediocre for a moment. <laughs> uh, we, now we, we're back to now, now crap we're back again. to crap. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Portland has long been one of those cities that's promoted itself as a great beer town, as others for have. Good reason. Uh, well, f- we think for a good reason, but you know there are other other cities that have also. Uh, but the truth is, Portland is a little bit in its own category, and people are starting to take notice. Earlier this year, we had the Craft Brewers Conference, and a bunch of people came here. Uh, to see what was happening in Portland. And now the Oregon Brewers Fest is starting to reach out to brewers uh, across the country and across the world and invite them here. And everybody's interested to see what's happening in Portland because what's happening in Portland is somewhat ahead of what's happening elsewhere. Um, And people want to see what's going on with Portland. How are we pulling it off? So what do we mean by that? Let's talk a little bit about what we've accomplished here and what other cities would like to see happen. Yeah, so just a few a few stats we have uh, down here. Uh, 60% of all draft sales uh, were brewed here. So we're drinking 60% of our beer is local on draft. Uh, Portland is also the largest craft beer market in the United States, and that's uh, in terms of um, total volume, not, not by percentage. So we drink more craft beer here than anywhere else. Uh, 39% of all sales in Portland are local. Uh, and um, that's meaning uh, locally brewed beer. If we just uh, include craft beer in general, um, that's higher, and that's also true with the 60% of draft sales here. Um, And we also have more varieties of IPA um, sold in Portland, Oregon, than anywhere else. Yeah, uh, Portland, so so those are stats that uh, at the CBC, they, they talked about, and everybody wants to, to figure out what's going on uh, with, with Portland and wh- how we do that. But w- one of the ways we've done that is we have an infrastructure and a kind of long-term commitment to beer that other cities lack. So we, uh, we grow hops here. We're one of the two states that produce most of the country's hops. Uh, we also have at OSU the Hops Research Center. So they have produced a lot of the American, early American varietals were, were uh, were bred there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a little bit of barley grown here. It's not really a big thing. That's mostly Canadian and like the Dakotas. Uh, but we do have Y East, which makes yeast, one of two yeast, uh, two big commercial yeast banks. Um, we have a bro- brewing program at Oregon State. Those are becoming more common, but still quite rare. We have a malt house in Vancouver, just across the river. Mm-hmm. Um, when you combine all that stuff and you look around at other cities that have that, you're looking at, uh, or other, other regions, you're looking at Southern England, uh, the area around Munich, mm-hmm. uh, the area around Prague. There's almost no places that have that kind of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So Portland's just really far ahead of everybody, and um, the word's finally getting out. So while other cities continue to talk about how many brewers they have, uh, we can talk about all these other things. Yeah, and a, and just a quick note, I mean, that the influence of the hop fields that are literally within a, a short hour's drive of, of the Portland, Oregon breweries 
uh, is quite evident when you drink uh, beer made in Portland. The, the, the experimentation and the pushing of hops has been uh, sort of a hallmark of the local style. And that relates right directly to that uh, number of IP, IPAs. IPAs, got a lot of them. Yeah. So um, when we were at the fest, we were able to talk to some people uh, about why what, what they thought about uh, Portland and what kind of inspiration they had. And I was actually a little bit surprised. I, I thought they might give the usual boilerplate, oh, you're great, kind of thing they would say about any uh, city. But they, they didn't. I was pretty surprised. We talked to uh, a guy named Mark Struker, who is a Dutch brewer for uh, a brewery that's hard to pronounce. He will pronounce it. Uh, in his intro. Yes, much better for him to do than us. Yeah, and then we also talked to uh, John Hall, who's the editor of All About Beer magazine, um, and who travels extensively around the United States and has a chance to see a lot of different uh, cities. So let's listen to what they have to say about Portland, and then we'll uh, we'll pick it up from there. My name is uh, Mark, and I'm from uh, Roydorp. Okay, and is and where in uh, the Netherlands is that? Uh, it's in Marsen. It's a city close to uh, Utrecht. Okay. Um, Oregon, um, for itself, it's uh, been a big inspiration for us brewers in the Netherlands. Really, Oregon in particular, or the United States? Uh, well, Oregon uh, in particular. So it's more the, the West Coast scene. So it's also, I think, uh, San Diego area, um, but but mostly I think north north uh, northwest. That's interesting. So what? How do people in the Netherlands even hear about Oregon? Uh, it's mostly um, uh, been through beer, beer freaks. So we were all, uh, all the current uh, new style Dutch brewers are, uh, are coming from the beer scene, so the beer consumer scene. So we were all uh, importing beers basically in the, start in the early 2000s. Uh, mostly from uh, from the, the West Coast because we, we wanted to have like huge IPAs, Souths, uh, barrel stuff, and um, uh, and those were there. Uh, we don't have any brewery schools or we don't have uh, like really big good breweries. We do have Heineken, of course, but nobody nobody wants to, to be there, and uh, so we all have to learn it from a home brewer's base. So. Uh, be consuming good stuff and uh, brewing uh, the styles we want to make, and uh, uh, and it's that's more like um, uh, the, the traditional things being um, people drank in the Netherlands were mostly Belgian orientated stuff, so more on the sweet side, uh, and we did, we didn't like that. So it's, we wanted to have more of the hoppy uh, things or the sour. Uh, John, you actually come to Oregon relatively frequently for an East Coast guy. What are your what are your thoughts about uh, the Oregon beer scene compared to the East Coast beer scene? What, what, what are your thoughts on Oregon? There's nothing like Oregon. I mean, that's the thing. You can travel the world and you come to a city like Portland and you come to a state like Oregon where the beer culture is so ingrained, where the flavors that are coming out of the brewery, the technical know-how, but also sort of the inhibition to really try uh, anything uh, in a beer. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's what Portland and what Oregon is all about. And you don't see that level of commitment or bravery or, you know, just talent uh, in other states. So that gives you a good idea of why uh, people are intrigued about Oregon. We seem to have figured out something. We seem to have a style uh, that people want, that people like. Um, and in fact, uh, when I was traveling around with you doing research for the Beer Bible, it was 
really clear the impact that Oregon brewers were having on English craft beer scene and and uh, to some extent the Scottish craft beer scene. We didn't we didn't go to Brewdog, but I think you can include Brewdog in that. And I think also that we did we wanted to talk to one of the New Zealand brewers. Didn't have a chance to, but it was really evident from their beer that they're taking their cues directly from the west coast of the U.S. Yeah, although I would say that um, one observation I made is that the 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 Dutch brewers. Um, were a little bit more uh, sort of directly influenced, and the New Zealand brewers were certainly influenced in terms of um, the sort of level of hopping in the beer. Um, but of course, they have wonderful local hops there, and so they are really featuring their hops, which was really great uh, right. to see. I mean, I mean, the Dutch don't have that 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 luxury, so I'm not I'm not casting aspersions by any means. But um, it was great. The other thing that I'll note is that um, one of the things we're we talked about in the last podcast in the intro um and we'll, we're sure to, to double back on now is the is the um the more sessionable beers uh the <laughs> both the dutch and the new zealand beers almost all of them were really really big beers like right. seven eight nine percent <laughs> yeah the, on, the only one was was mark's and the beer that he brought was sort of a uh a nice uh, tip of the hat to the brew fest, he made it for Art Lawrence, the founder, um, yeah. and the, he's selling it in the du- in uh, the Netherlands, and it's got a, apparently it's got a picture of a raccoon and a picture of Art on it. I, we didn't get to see it, but it sounds pretty cool. I think it's a picture of a raccoon with a with a name tag. This is Art. This ah, there I you think are. Is what he said to us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we didn't get to see it see it up, up close. So so we're doing lots of interesting stuff, and and one of the interesting things about the beer fest is it's kind of. Uh, uh, a place where Oregon brewers come and sort of highlight their experiments, their pushing of the envelope, um, and uh, we certainly saw that at this time. I mean, we 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 mentioned the intro. You heard us talk about potato beers. Um, there was a pepper peach beer. Uh, there was um, the talk of the fest, a mushroom beer, which <laughs> which will will. We'll put it put aside for now. Stick with us. That's the big finale. That's the big finale. Uh, what else did we have there? We had um, uh, what uh, Burnside Brewing called a, a, sa- a smoked Berliner Weisse, which is an old style called a Lichtenhainer mm-hmm. or Hainer. Somebody will tell us what that is. Um, and uh, there were there was uh, Widmer did a, a beer that was aged in uh, mezcal barrels and just a whole bunch of cool stuff and some of those things worked and some of them didn't work and one of the great experiences at the beer fest is uh just trying them and you know you're in you're in for three ounces and a buck so if it's no good you're you don't feel like you've missed anything and breweries have the same kind of approach they send something if it doesn't work they're out nothing yeah and i was also interested i I was interested and we had this discussion before the fest which is how do you approach this as a brewer and does it change? How do you approach the fest as a brewer? Does it change as you become more established and well-known? So I was hypothesizing that perhaps when you're young and a new brewery and you're trying to make a name for yourself, you might want to, to send a tried-and-true beer, something you're trying to build the brand around, you know, your flagship IPA, for example, uh, or you could always send watermelon wheat for five or six years. Um, <laughs> and, or a decade. Or a decade, yeah. Uh, sorry, 21st Amendment. Um, <laughs> uh, or, or is this a place where you try to make a name for yourself for being experimental and exciting, but you risk perhaps turning off part of your, your audience? So um, right. that, was, that was a theme that I was interested in exploring. Uh, and we, we actually talked to uh, Jamie Floyd, who is the founder and brewer at uh, Ninkasi, um, to talk a little bit about the fest. And, and uh, we've got a clip here where he addresses 
uh, this phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, this is a fun fest. I, I was talking to these, these beautiful guys from California that I met like a couple years ago that are up here. They're all psyched, you know, and they're like, you know, we've had a lot of eights and nines, but, you know, we've had some fives and sixes. And I'm like, well, you got to, it's a crapshoot up here. I mean, there's a lot of experimental beers, and they turn out as good as they do. And then they're double decanted before they're in your glass. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like your optimal experience for, you know, beer necessarily, but it's always super fun to, you know. Uh, to think about so no we all really that, that is one of the things it's uh it's actually this festival and holiday ale festival are a part of our brewing schedule in a way that nothing else really is well so uh we had some fives and sixes but we also had some eights and nines at the fest we did and we also uh did what what jamie did and we tried experimental beers we were interested in in uh, all kinds of beers that were there yeah and we had a couple of ones and twos by the way but we did. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on we'll touch on those. Uh, so we thought we'd go rather than review all the beers. We thought we'd look at these kind of by category, and then discuss what we thought was working and not working in these categories. So yep. we were we, we wrote down fruit beers, spice beers, hoppy beers, Belgian beers, and just weird beers, <laughs> uncategorically weird. So let's start out with the fruit beers, um, which. I don't know. We were sharing the beers all along, and I, when I took notes, I realized that I think I had more of the fruit beers than I had in any other category. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, there are a lot of fruit beers this year. There were, and you know, sunny summer fruit beers great. So. Yeah, and the weather for the the fest is reliably sunny and warm now. Although on Wednesday when we were there, it was a little cool and cloudy, which I don't mind at all. But um, that might have uh, dampened the enthusiasm for fruit beer, perhaps. But. Uh, Maybe predictably, uh, the 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 consistently long line uh, in the um, uh, fest was for the uh, uh, help me out here. What was the name of the strawberry cream ale from Fearless Brewing? Yes, what had the had the predictably long had the predictably long line. We say predictably because usually it's some kind of strawberry watermelon, some kind of uh, a crowd pleasing fruit beer. And that's exactly what Jamie predicted, and he was right on the money. That's right. So um, let's start. I want to start with uh, Prodigal Son's Huckleberry Wheat because it's a real throwback beer. It's the kind of beer that we were getting in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. It was a standard wheat beer with uh, huckleberries thrown in there. Uh, back in the day, you might find any kind of peach or apricots or yep. raspberries. Yep. Uh, and I, f I felt like it's a good example of showing where we were and where we're going and what brewers have discovered. And, when, and, and what I mean by that is um, when you just make a standard wheat beer and throw some fruit in it, it's really flabby. For some reason, the, the, the fruit doesn't pop. It kind of gets washed out. It get, mostly gets fermented away. So the sugars are gone. So you're left with a really mild flavor. And it's, it's not unpleasant by any means, but it doesn't give you that fruit pop you want. Yeah, I would say the thing about that beer was uh, on the nose, the 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 aroma was great. Mm -hmm. A very strong huckleberry aroma. And what happened is the taste sort of disappoints after. Yeah. It contrasted nicely or sharply, I should say, with uh, uh, Six Points uh, beer, Little Raspy or Raspy. I'm not sure what the name was. It was listed differently. Mm -hmm. They're a brewery out of uh, Brooklyn. And they had uh, a beer that really similar presentation, but um, I don't know if they soured it artificially or if the raspberries themselves added sourness. It was awfully sharp, so I would be kind of sharp, surprised if it wasn't kettle soured or mm -hmm. something. Um, and it really presented the 
the raspberries beautifully. Yes. They really, that all the flavor was there, the aroma was there. And I think breweries have discovered that you add a little acidity and somehow it preserves those fruit flavors. Yeah, almost almost always the fruit beers that I like are the ones that are, are a bit sour yeah. and that play off the fruit, fla- the fruit uh, the sweetness of the fruit with the sour of the beer. And then that interplay is really good. They don't have to be bitter or like brutally sour, but just a little acidity somehow makes the whole thing work. I agree entirely. There were also a bunch of other weird, uh, so those are kind of your, those are like our baseline fruit beers. But then yeah. there were, <laughs> there were uh, above and beyond fruit beers. So uh, we, we had, we had highlight or I had highlight. I was excited to try the, the Dunedin Brewery from Florida, their mango macrot uh, beer. Um, unfortunately, I found that kind of a, just a muddy mess. It was a muddy mess, and I think it goes to show how hard it is to work with fruit. Uh, you've got you've got flavors that seem like they'll work, but in this case, um, the I don't know if it was the macrot or too many hops or what it was, but there was definitely a, a harsh astringency there, a tannin. I don't, I don't know what it was coming from. Maybe they threw the macrot, which I guess are leaves of uh, the kefir lime, maybe? I think I may have read that. I think that's right. Uh, so maybe they put those in the, the boil and it extracted a bunch of tannins. I don't know what it was, but it was just, you know, not a pleasant beer and the, and the, uh, mango just completely disappeared. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't brew a lot with fruit, but I, I always wonder with the really pulpy fruits, uh, how you deal with, uh, the actual fruit matter itself. It's hard to sort of get the essence without kind of. People used to be really scared about putting it in the tank, uh, on the cold side. And because they thought, you know, these things are not sanitary, they're going to spoil the beer. And I've never encountered that. I've never heard of anybody encountering that. And I think if you put fruit in anything hot, you're really going to lose a lot of the, the delicacy. So yeah. I don't know if they did that, but it certainly disappeared. Um, yeah. So that was so that was one 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 disappointment. There was another very interesting beer, uh, the Latnapur Flaming Peach. Yeah. And it was so it was it was peach, but it also had cayenne. And it flamed. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Weirdly, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I really didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's okay. That's 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 part of, all part of it. So it was it was very spicy. It was quite hot. It yeah, really was it was hot, I, I and think I found that unpleasant. And I, and I do in general. Now we've had we've had this discussion about other beers. There was a Roots beer from from time past. Roots is Roots is, has deceased. Uh, uh, but they made a uh, like a mole beer, like an habanero beer, something yeah. like that, yeah. which had a real hot kick to it, which I remember you liked, and I quite I didn't. So well, one of the guys who worked with uh, Craig Nichols at Roots went on to found Burnside, and he's got a kind of well-known here beer here in in town called uh, Sweet Heat, which has uh, some it's a light uh, uh, wheat ale, and it's got a little bit of pepper, and I think. What I liked about Lot Nepper or Nepur or I'm not sure how you pronounce that mm-hmm. brewer's name. They're from Washington. Uh, the sweet and the spice work together nicely. They kind of play off each other in, in ways that you wouldn't expect that would work. For yeah. me, it worked. But yeah, you know, I guess I'm pr- I guess I'm just uh, sensitive to the spice because I got all spice and not a lot of sweet. So just different palates. Yep. Uh, last one we had ha- listed here was the Fort George Peach Stout. I don't remember that one. I had it. It was um, it was a stout, and I could not detect peach. And I handed it around to have people taste. They could not taste the peach either. That's so, why I don't remember it. Yeah, <laughs> it was a nice stout. A uh, little bit maybe heavy on the roast, but um, uh, I would like to have been able to taste some peach if it had been in there. Anyway, so it's hard to work with. I think the lesson is, uh, fruit is great, and it can really improve a beer. Uh, but it is not a magic bullet, and you really have to fuss to make the the fruit pop. Yeah. 
So speaking of spice, let's move on to spice beer. Yeah. Uh, so we we put some beers in different categories. We've already talked about some spice beers that were uh, in the fruit category, and there are some elsewhere. But then there were some that were really kind of focused in on on uh, spice. And I think one of the most interesting ones was uh, Widmer created a really unusual beer that was uh, half wit beer, half goza, uh, and barrel aged in. Uh, Mezcal barrels. Mezcal barrels, which is a, a, a kind of rough folk version of tequila, and it's got a real smoky note. Yeah, and it had, and I think it, they also added some salt and yeah, maybe from, even lime. Yeah, that's so the salt is typical in a goza, so I think that was the goza side. And, and did you then, say the name of the beer? The name of the beer is Widmeridaville. Yeah. So you can see what they're going for. <laughs> though, the, though the funny thing is it didn't remind me anything at all of a margarita. But it oh, was... it did actually to me. Really? I mean, I knew the name before I tried it, so it was already on my mind. But I tasted it and I said, aha, I can, you know, I, I immediately detected the salt and a bit of lime. And so I kind of, I kind of uh, clued on that right away. I'm not sure how, much, how long it would have taken me had I not known the name. But... I thought it was a pretty good beer. I, 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 uh, I gave it the big thumbs up. I think it worked. Uh, whether you like it or not is a question of whether you like those flavors, but it certainly held together nicely. The flavors were, I think, if, if I were a brewer and I had that in my head, uh-huh. that's what I would want it to turn out like. It is, all, what else, how I'll characterize it is it's one of the most interesting beers at the fest, uh, one of the most interesting experiments. I think it's done well. I wouldn't particularly care for a glass of it. A taste was nice. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, it didn't quite work for me. But I actually don't tend to like beers that are uh, put in um, alcohol barrels. I, I, I tend to I tend to be really sensitive to alcohol taste. Uh, I don't really like big beers as much, um, especially ones that really pop with the alcohol flavor. So I, I think that's part of it. Hmm. But I but I but I recognize it as a well a well a well made beer and an interesting experiment. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting too. Another interesting experiment was uh, came from Upright. They did a Bière de Garde uh, that they aged on what they called a secret ingredient. I actually had been talking to. Oh, you know the secret. I, well, partly it's out. He sent. Uh, they sent out a. No, no, no. It's not out. It's exclusive to the pod. Come on. Well, it's exclusive to the pod or those who get the emails from Upright Brewing. Uh, so about six other people. Yeah, probably not so many actually. Um, it's called Munya Munya. It's an Argentinian herb that uh, is supposedly minty, but I didn't. It didn't. This beer didn't taste minty to me. This was one of mm-hmm. another one of the beers that I really liked. Uh, I thought it was a very subtle use of herb, uh, mm-hmm. which is the way I like to go. I like uh, um, typically I like a the use of spice, and the Belgians really get this. Uh, should harmonize with all the other flavors. It should accentuate the beer, not the other way around. The beer shouldn't be there trying to accentuate the spice or hide out of the way of the spice. So I thought it was great. Um, and it was a very nice beer base also. So it was both both elements worked for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree entirely. I thought it was really nice. I also didn't necessarily detect mint, um, but I thought it was a delightful beer, definitely one of the eights or nines. Yeah. So there was a white IPA there. Uh, there was a beer that came from the Kiwis that was uh, kind of an IPA or a pale that had a lot of spice, a Thai kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought both of those were fine, but um, they both seemed a little bit uh, – the spice is like fruit, a little bit hard to work with, and if you don't nail it right on the money, then it just really clangs. It's like somebody playing in an off note in a jazz quartet. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It can go wrong very quickly. It takes a light touch in general for me. Yeah. So the lesson there – Definitely use spice, experiment with it, but uh, be careful. 
Okay, so we live in, of course, uh, Hop Central uh, uh, here in the Willamette Valley in uh, Yakima, Washington are the two big uh, hop centers. So uh, as we've talked about, there's no surprise. We had lots of hoppy beers. Yep. Uh, we didn't drink a ton of them, but we did We did have a few that we liked a lot. Yeah, it's interesting, I guess, because when we go to a festival, we're looking for different things. Um, although some of the biggest hop bombs, as we've mentioned, came from New Zealand. Yeah, and we, we tried two of those. We'll, we'll do a clip where we review one later, but uh, yeah. uh, they had a nice one called Riwaka Secret, which was made with Riwaka hops that we liked quite a bit. Or is that the one we did? No, we did Sovin. We did both of those? We did. You mean in our clip? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember which one we've done, but uh, I liked both of those beers. I should just back off this and not step on a we'll, clip. Yeah, we'll do the clip, and then we'll figure out what we said. All right. <laughs> uh, it was a little late, later in the fest. Okay, so I want to start us off with my favorite, my, my champion beer of the fest. Yeah. Uh, which will come as no surprise if you listen to our earlier podcast on how much I like session IPAs. Uh, Breaksides, Rainbows, and Unicorns. Uh, was full pour worthy um, for me, meaning that um, I went back and got uh, a whole glass of it. Um, it's just a, 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 a perfect, I think, just an exceptional example of, of a, a session IPA just popping with, with hop flavor, lots of new modern hops that pop with uh, citrus and um, tropical fruit notes, uh, but on a sort of a light base, very sessionable, just a perfect, perfect summer beer for me. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones that... Um stands in for Portland. It's one of those beers that uh, when people come here and they want to taste Portland, that's what I would hand them. And and, and Portland in 2015, not Portland in 2010 or, or, or 2005. Yep. Um, this is a really modern flavor and it's it's right where the, the, uh, the market is right now. Um, I loved it too. A, a beer that I tried and I, I mentioned in the preview that I was interested in trying was Basecamp's Hop in the Pool Hellas. And this was a uh, and I had this, it was my second beer possibly. Um, it's a hop bursted Hellas. So they didn't use any bittering hops. They only added hops. They claim uh, at the end of the, uh, in the whirlpool. Mm -hmm. So they take, you, you know, the way that works is you take the beer out of the kettle and put it in the whirlpool where you're going to let the tube settle out and you throw in some hops there. So it's, the temperature's dropping as you put it in. It's, you know, probably two, 200 degrees by the time you get in there and it drops down below that. So mm -hmm. you, you extract, you're not extract, you're supposedly not extracting a ton of bitterness and yeah this was a surprisingly uh balanced beer and i felt i found a lot of bitterness so i was really interested to know if that was if we got bad data or what but it was a great hellas and it was a uh, sort of an american style hellas which <laughs> the bavarians wouldn't like to hear but um yeah nice beer. <laughs> no i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the beer as well and you're right it was it, it there was quite a bit of bitterness um which is not what you'd expect if you go by the sort of common uh, knowledge of, of what's supposed to happen if you just do late edition hops. So another cool thing about the hoppy beers is getting familiar with the new hops or hop varietals. This next one we're going to talk about is not exactly a new hop, but um, why don't you talk about this one? Uh, the Boundary Bay Sriracha Ace. Yeah, yeah, so I had highlighted this. Boundary Bay is one of those go-to brewers at the Brewfest that I almost, uh, I, I think, um, have batted a thousand with me in terms of um, uh, their their beers. They they have in the past sent many sort of pails with you know dry hop pale beers. Um, Sriracha Ace is a is is a funny hop for me. Um, uh, lots of people get lemon. I get dill. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, maybe Boundary Bay has the magic touch. Um, but for me, unfortunately, no. It was just a dill bomb. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the I, I think 
based on the prevalence of Sriracha Ace when it was released, the Sriracha Ace beers when it was released, and the Sriracha Ace beers now, I don't think it's actually such an uncommon thing, this dill, this perception of dill, because it seems like breweries have really moved away from Sriracha Ace. Yeah, it was a big thing for only about a year or two. Yeah. I actually uh, got, it was enough, you were hoping that it would be a Sriracha Ace, the use of Sriracha Ace that you'd get the lemons and not the dill. It was... Actually, the opposite. Uh, I got the dill. I, I picked up a little bit of dill. Really? Yeah, a little oh, bit. Oh, that's little, interesting. A little tiny bit of dill. Uh, so it was, um, yeah, Sriracha Ace is a, one of those hops, I guess. Yeah, and it's all about the hops, by the way. It's nothing to do with the brewer. It's, I'm, oh, I'm yeah, sure, it's I'm sure a wonderful beer. It's just that one of these funny things, this hop just doesn't, it doesn't taste good to me. Uh, by the way, there was another, there was a dry hop mosaic um, from Caldera. Uh, that was really nice because it just, if you want to know what mosaic hops taste like, you drink this beer and you, you're good. You know exactly what a mosaic hop. In fact, and I'll give you a hat tip. I handed you the beer. didn't tell you what it is. It said, tell me what hop that is. And you nailed it. <laughs> well, well, well done. Thank you. So, uh, mosaic is a fairly distinctive hop. So I'm, our brewing uh, folks out there who hear that will not be super impressed, but I appreciate that. The hat tip. Yeah, but we're and you probably won't miss it again. But we're either. amateur hack, so it's that's pretty good well, for an amateur hack like yourself. <laughs> that's right. But this is one of the great things about going to a beer fest. You tasted that uh, to the extent that it didn't blur in your head with these other beers. You'll probably remember it because it was so distinctive. Yep. And once you taste a beer like that, then you can fix it in your head. Yeah, so. and it's one of our favorite homebrewing things to do. By the way, is to to, to brew simple ho- single hopped uh, beers, usually a pale ale with a simple malt, malt base, just to just to really get to know a hop. So. So there were also some Belgian beers there. We didn't actually taste a ton of them. I had uh, the Flat Tail Big Green, which was a hoppy Saison, like an 8% Saison. So it's pretty big Saison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have had Saisons, American-style Saisons, which is to say brewed with a Saison yeast, but um, a lot of late edition hops and hops used to accentuate those fruity esters. Mm-hmm. And I was really looking forward to it. And it was a good beer. Uh, I felt that both of the hopping and the... Uh, ester profile were a little bit more subdued than I would like, so I was hoping for a little bit more uh, oomph on both sides. But it was very, it was actually dangerously sessionable. I couldn't begin to say that it was 8%. It yeah. was a very nice beer. But, um, but so there was that one. And the other one was lodged in Lo- Logsden, Aberrant, excuse me. Yeah. Did uh, you have that one or did I only, was I only one had it? I think you're the only one that had that. I don't remember that one. It was a, it was a strong, another strong, uh, pale ale and, uh, it was an, it was nicely made. Uh, Dave Logston is famous for his, uh, Brett aged and Saison beers. And this was a more kind of straight ahead thing. He did have a couple of yeasts in, in reserve that he, he was, all, he's one of the co-founders of uh, Y yeast. So he's always got great yeast. Mm-hmm. It was okay. Uh, it didn't knock me out. Um, the Belgians didn't come so strong this year. Uh, so we will maybe just move along. Yeah, well, that, I mean, well, but I think that's an interesting style note, which is, you know, we've gone through waves. You know, we had the, the first wave of IPA. And then I think quickly following that was the sort of Belgian revolution. And everyone was brewing Belgian beers. Yeah, and Belgians continue to be popular, but um, kind of like on a simmer. They never, they're ne- it doesn't look like in America they're going to break out, but they're also not going to fade away. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I would say probably maybe the next wave is the is the lagering wave. So everyone's now, or has been doing lagers, and you almost everyone now has at least one lager in their in their lineup. Uh, and then most recently, I think it are these session, these hoppy session beers. So, yeah. So it's interesting to see how this sort of goes along, and 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 and, and the. And the fruit beer as well as we've as we've talked about. There were, of course, uh, as there are every year, some 
Far we, out experiments. Yeah, really weird <laughs> beers. We, we categorized as weird. So in, on the lead-in, we talked about the uh, the potato beer, uh, which was unfortunately not too potatoy, so it didn't turn out to be too weird. Although it definitely gets marks as a weird beer when you add three hundred pounds of russet potatoes. Yeah, I really wanted to taste the potato. I know. And and, and the funny thing is, I sort of came away disappointed because I didn't. But the <laughs> beer is fine. I mean, it's just, yeah. but it just doesn't. You wouldn't know there's potatoes in there. Yeah. Uh, one beer that really divided people was this uh, Burnside Smoked Berliner Weisse, um, which is an old style. Uh, in, in Northern Germany, there there were Northern Germany people always think only of uh, lagers when you think of Germany, but but the northern half of Germany, so this was long before there was a Germany even, um, was a band that was on the same plane and and right next to Belgium, and the beers were very much like Belgian beers. So this was a weird old style that has since died, although it's now making a little bit of a return, mm-hmm. which is it, it, a smoked Berliner Weisse is a good description. That's that's what it was. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what it tasted. Like. And that's what it tasted like. And I've always I've never actually had one of these, and I wondered what they would taste like. Huh. Um, I thought it was spectacular. Our friend Joe, who was with us. Uh, who will drink everything. We were calling him the garbage man because he would not allow anybody to throw out a, a, a pour. <laughs> he was so appalled by it. He was just repulsed. He I, think that's, I think that's the only time in my life I've, <laughs> I've seen him not drink a beer. Yeah. Uh, he, he disliked it that much. I actually, you know, and I don't particularly like smoke in general, um, but I quite liked it. I, I really like Berliner Weisse. I really like that really crisp, tart, just no sugar at all. Yeah, and I think... Um, People who are into these this style would would really tip their hat to Burnside. It, it struck me as a really competent example of a hard style to make, and it was below four percent, so it was appropriate that way. They didn't gussy it up to appeal to American taste. So it was a good beer. Yeah, there was a time when you could find a lot of Berliner Weisses around town with syrups, mm-hmm. and the the classic syrup is Woodruff. Is Woodruff, which uh, which uh, Alan Taylor at Pints uh, introduced me to, and said. Yeah, it's a lot like uh, Lucky Charms, and it's exactly what it's like. It's that <laughs> sort of cereally mushroom—I mean, uh, uh, marshmallow uh, weirdness. So I, I don't particularly like that, but you can get some raspberry syrup, something like that, and then the Berliner Weisse, uh, which is very tart and very clean, mixed with a syrup, is quite delightful. It's a really nice time to drink. Um, but there's sort of th- that, that fat is a bit over now. Oh no, Berliner Weisses will always be go strong. <laughs> I'm a fan. Yeah, I, hey, I'll keep drinking them. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what else? Well, there was the uh, Vanilla Pale Ale. Uh, we have a program here in Oregon, for those of you who uh, are not from here, that the Widmers have been doing for 20 years or more, where they, uh, every six months or so, they get uh, local homebrewers together and have a contest and uh, judge the beers that the homebrewers bring mm-hmm. and then release it commercially. It's called the Collaborator Project. And the beer they brought this year, and then it always... Every year, one of those beers appears at the uh, the OBF, and this year they brought a vanilla pale ale, which I was really looking forward to, and and it just really didn't work. I did. Did you taste that one? Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, it was just really heavy on the vanilla, and too it, heavy on the vanilla, and it and it was a little too heavy on the the bitterness. Um, you know, vanilla and bitterness are not flavors that should go together, and I mm. I was assuming it was going to be, you know, uh, lightly, uh, maybe like a more of a weedy. Uh, pale ale mm-hmm. with, with uh, something like that but no it and so yeah i hate to say that it was not my not my big fave yeah i didn't mind it i mean i i really like vanilla um and i'm so that's one of those things that i'm much more tolerant of but i but i 
but I recognize it as too heavy on the vanilla and, and probably not something I'd want a lot of because it's a little just too much of one flavor. So one other category uh, is a regional category. There was the Fest had uh, a tent devoted to these Netherlands and New Zealand beers. Um, and we got to spend some time drinking beer there. I think we tasted most of those. And we stopped to record our second uh, interview or our second review. Yep. Why don't we play that clip and then we'll talk just briefly about those before we come to our big wind up and get to that mushroom beer, the beer you've all been waiting big for. Big finale, that's yeah. right. <laughs> okay, here we go. We're, we're back uh, a little later in the fest. We're over here in the International Garden. I've got a uh, Saranova by to, uh, Tartara Brewing. Tartara Brewing. And you, what do you got there, Patrick? I have the CC Colon Porter from Het Ulche. 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 <laughs> and uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your Het Ulche CC Porter? So what's interesting about this porter is it has both uh, coconut and coffee. And uh, we were told by another brewer that they had no idea how much coconut to put in, so they just put in all they had. All of it. And it smells like it. And you smell it, and you think it's going to be horrible, but it's actually a very uh, nice, subtle touch on the on the tongue, and, and I quite like it. Yeah, it's not bad. It's, uh, it's a little on the sweet side, but it's a pretty good porter. Yeah, I agree. And you? I've got I've got this uh, Sava Nova, which is made of Nelson Sauvin hops, and I was thinking maybe that uh, the uh, New Zealand brewers had a way of brewing with this hop that would create some kind of depth and subtlety that the Nelson Sauvin hop is not itself known for, and uh, no, and no, it's it's a Sauvin bomb. It's insanely thick and to me kind of sweaty. Uh, very intense. Some people are enjoying it, and some are not. Yeah, you, did you, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I, I like Nelson Sauvin, and it is far from subtle, and it is pretty fantastic, if you ask me. There you go. If you like Nelson Salvin, this is the, the super Salvin experience. <laughs> it is. And it's the real experience, because it comes from the Kiwis. So if you come and you want a little bit of Kiwi goodness try that one and i will actually mention that the uh, we're really liking the rewaka secret from parrot dog another brewery that may use kiwi hops and it actually is is quite nice yeah and the smoke session oatmeal stout uh from rui dop and rig uh by the brewer that we interviewed uh is also uh quite nice so we were a little uh later in the fest there you heard possibly some buoyancy in our voices uh but well it was also getting louder so we had to yeah, increase our volume that's just true. because we need to produce good audio. <laughs> Excellent point. Yes, that's right. We were professionals, so we, uh, you know, we got the job done. That's right. Uh, but let's talk just a minute about what we what we felt the Dutch and uh, New Zealand brewers, their beers taken as a whole, were like uh, compared to what we were seeing elsewhere at the fest. Yeah. Well, we alluded to it before. Uh, they were almost all very big beers, mm -hmm. which to me is like five, six, seven years ago where we'd be. And, well, even even less, but a few years ago, maybe four, three, four years ago at the fest, I was complaining um, to those around that there were so many big beers, it was hard to avoid uh, getting too drunk and sort of not making, making it through the fest. Right. Um, in American beers now, there are a lot of, of smaller beers, lower alcohol beers, um, and that's actually the thing, you know, I think that the, the New Zealand beers, I tend to really like those New Zealand hops, yeah. um, save for the Srachiers, but the Nelson Salvin and the Rwanda one was really nice. Uh, uh, and what I would love to have is one of those beers in, or one of the, one of those hops in a more sessionable beer. Right. 
Yeah. So, so maybe actually, uh, it makes me think of a beer that we encountered in England, <laughs> uh, and you knew I was going to go there, uh, which is uh, your, your your first love. Strange, yeah, my first love for for New Zealand hops. Um, Thornbridge Brewing uh, in England has actually there was a New Zealand brewer there at the time. I wonder if he's still there. Yeah. Um, but they they brew this beer called Kipling, which they call South Pacific Ale, and it's brewed with New Zealand hops. I'm not at the moment. I can't remember which ones. Um, but it is exactly what I'm talking about. It's a, a, a very sessionable, light, uh, light pale beer um, that really just features those hops in a delightful way. Um, I actually found a bottle here locally, um, and I wouldn't suggest you actually go out and get it because it doesn't travel well. Um, it's too, it's sort of too delicate a, a beer. It, it really, it really wasn't. Um, yeah, um, I think, I, I think what we were seeing there, or what it, what it seemed like, was both the Dutch and, and New Zealand brewers were thinking. Uh, the way we used, we were thinking just like before, as you mentioned, four or five years ago, um, that the the uh, connection between strength and flavor. So they wanted yeah. to really wow us. And they, I think in their minds, which is what brewers were thinking not too long ago, that means a very big, bold beer. Um, and we were seeing elsewhere at the fest, you know, um, Rainbows and Unicorns, the, the beer you talked about, mm -hmm. um, the Burnside uh, Smoked Berliner Weisse, both quite small beers and just really powerfully flavored beers. So yeah. th that sort of shows where I think Americans are headed. And probably given that we had all these brewers here, and I'm sure that they're spending time at our pubs and tasting beer and hanging out with our brewers, um, they're probably thinking, hmm, this is interesting. A lot of flavor in a small package. I got to try that. Yeah, I, that, oh, that'll be very interesting if these if these relationships continue to uh, hold up and uh, New Zealand and uh, Dutch brewers are invited back next year. It'll be interesting to see how, how, how the, the set of beers they bring has evolved. Um, how influenced are they by the, the local beers here? Yeah, I hope we continue to get to see foreign brewers come here and especially from brewery uh, from uh, countries that are not necessarily the famous ones like yeah. uh, New Zealand and the Netherlands. So we hope to see that. So we should, we should um, consider moving to the big finale here. <laughs> Let's talk mushrooms. Let's talk mushrooms. So why don't we go to our final clip uh, back to John Hall, who uh, is, uh, uh, he's got the gift of gab, that guy. He's, he should have his own podcast. He's, yeah. I think, I think he'd do all right. He, he, yeah. He'd do all right. He, Maybe he should get a podcast. We should let him know about that. Uh, just to let everybody know, John John does have a podcast, so you should uh, check out his podcast, which is called. I should have looked this up. I don't know. Uh, when we when we do the well, we'll, when we go to the clip. We'll I'll, I'll look it up. When we get back. Yeah, <laughs> the clip. I'll look it up. Uh, All right, let's hand it over to John. Yeah. I think local is where it's going to be at, and using local ingredients and local produce is still going to be really popular. But as far as trends, uh, mushroom beers are where it's at. Also, also, I've heard that honey is the next tops. <laughs> well, we are on the cutting edge then because we have a mushroom beer here. We're going to try in a minute. It's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of disturbed by the notion of it, but I'm, I'm, I'm all in. And that is, of course, John Hall, uh, uh, editor of All About Beer magazine, and... Who podcasts on? Steal this beer. Okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, John. So there, there's a there's a local brewer, uh, Old Town Brewing. Uh, they clearly wanted to make a splash. They certainly did. They certainly understood that the that they were going to do something uh, very different because they brought a whole bunch of stickers. Right. Uh, that they had the person serving their beer handed out that said, "I've tried the mushroom beer," <laughs> and it was a good 
strategy because so people, it's good. It's good people kept strategy. asking about it. So yeah. it was definitely the buzz beer this year at the at the fest. That's right. Um, so it's made with candy cap mushrooms, which it turns out is an important thing, but we should do a little sensory discussion and then maybe mention wh why it mattered, which kind of mushrooms they were. Okay, you want to know my, my, my sensory? I'll give you my sensory uh, synopsis. Yeah. Uh, revolting. <laughs> Just horrible. Uh, do you have any specificity? Do you recall the flavors that revolted uh, you? It was quite mushroom uh, in a beer and horrible. Well, <laughs> so to break it out a little <laughs> but, bit. But uh, you go ahead. Uh, what, what I – so there, there were two different flavors that were competing or that were really notable uh, that, that were surprising to me. One, one was a, a – I first thought it was caramel, but then somebody said maple syrup, and I was like, "Yeah, it's more maple mm -hmm. syrup." It definitely had a maple. Very, syrup. It was quite sweet, um, and the maple note was was right. Um, it wasn't it wasn't identical. It, it was, but there was a little bit of caramel in it. So, it was, but it was a sweet this thing, and then there was also a, like a mildew note, which was I think the uh, the musty the must, yeah. mushroom mildew yes. mushroom thing. What was mm. interesting, despite our uh, low regard for this beer we were not um in I, I don't know i don't know what the breakdown was but there were a lot of people who did like it um there have been talk after the fest on online i've been seeing talk of that beer um and there was talk at the fest there were some people who were neutral and i'm wondering if maybe uh the the flavor that comes from the candy cap mushrooms was not perceptible to everyone uh, in which in which case they're getting a more neutral flavor but it was certainly perceptible to us like, yeah and in, in our group of five or six people who we were that we were sampling and trying it i don't think there was anyone who didn't find it objectionable yeah objectionable is the right word so it turns out this candy cap mushroom has a weird flavor that i didn't it's not just a generic mushroom. yeah flavor. so i suppose it's possible to use mushrooms in beer um, i'm not exactly sure why you would and what would really motivate you other than to to produce a really weird beer and, and make a and make a name for yourself at the at the fest uh, well, some people liked it. I mean, that's one thing. That's one reason to do it. And um, I think another reason to do it is because uh, flavoring beers, we're getting to a place where there's going to be a whole category of beers that don't correspond to style. Yeah. They're, they're outside of style. They're more like cocktails. And if you like the flavors in them, then you drink them, and if you don't, you don't. But you can't say this was made poorly or this is not to style or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just it's a flavored beer, and this thing. Um, there are going to be people when they have this on the pub after the fest. They're going to be people who love it, and they're going to drink it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm all in favor of experimentation. I understand that I like some beers other people don't, and vice versa. And 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 I have no objection to the existence of the beer. It'll be interesting, though. I though there appear to be people who like it. I, I, I suspect we might not see a revolution in mushroom beer. No, we, I don't think we'll see a revolution in flavored beers in general. I don't think they're going to put Kolsch and IPAs out of business. But I think that they will become a, the non-style flavored beer will mm -hmm. be a, a category of beer that we'll see a lot of. And breweries will find, you know, candy cat mushroom is a bizarre and weird thing. So if you can do that with this munya munya herb, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff you can put in beers. And it's a way of... Uh, creating an a, an original flavor that nobody else has, and yeah. if you've got it, it you don't actually need a very big audience because you're the only one who has it. So all the people who like that beer will come to your store, so your pub. Try for yourself. Definitely. Try the mushroom beer. It's my highest recommendation, just because it's the we it easily the weirdest beer there, and yes. definitely worth investigating.
Yeah, know. if you're in, if you're into interesting experiments, the Maritaville is a good one. The mushroom beers, uh, definitely a good one. Um, what else? The the spud beer is interesting, but interesting only in that you really can't detect the spuds. The smoked Berliner Weisse. Smoked Berliner Weisse, definitely. I would try that. I like I like that actually. Yeah. And and you gotta so after the mushroom beer, I I actually uh, went and sought out a beer that I thought would be reliable. Most of these beers I'd never had, so I went straight to Breakside, and that's when I first got my pour of rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. So. Um, it's nice to have a, an old reliable in your back pocket, and yeah. if you don't like that, uh, following it up with uh, with Burke Break Size on a terrible and I'll, idea. And, I, and I'll just mention one one little note here that I couldn't really fit in anywhere else, but uh, sort of in the what's in a name category. So uh, Pints Brewing, who um, who uh, brew exceptional German style beers um, and generally exceptional uh, beers in uh, in general, brought something that they called Honey Bunches of Oats uh, because of the uh, addition of oats and, and honey in the beer, um, and that was a that was a good marketing strategy because the lines for that one tended to be quite long. I had to wait a little while to get my to my taste as well, and I was behind a group of about three or four women who were all getting full pours of, of honey bunches of oats. And also wheat, flaked corn, and flaked rice, and it and white sugar. Interesting. So it has a whole. So it's so it's, it's like a, the it, it's the adjunct beer. It's an interesting yeah, it's an interesting beer because there's so many adjuncts and what's. What's uh, particularly interesting about the beer is it's such a a normal yeah beer. You wouldn't you would not have guessed that there was anything uh, particular. In fact, that the, the honey and the oats were were fairly undetectable to me. Vaguely Kolsch like sort of. Yeah, it was it was it was it was a very nice uh, sort of light pale beer. Um, not particularly hoppy, not particularly malty. Just a really sort of neutral and, and delightful, exceptionally well made 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 beer. Uh, but it was a big hit. It was a big hit. So that's that's how it goes. Sometimes you put a lot of weird stuff in there and you get a totally normal beer. Yeah. <laughs> like spuds too. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, that, that, that'll do it for this edition of the, the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have a chance to get to the Oregon Brewers Fest, if not this year, uh, sometime in the future. Uh, it's one of the best uh, fests in the country. It's really worth checking out. And it is the, the height of the, the Oregon summer, which is the which is the payoff to the Oregon winter. So come and enjoy what is reliably dry, sunny, and not too hot, not too humid. No bugs. Nope. Uh, you will not get eaten up by mosquitoes. You're right there by the river, and you won't see a mosquito the whole time you're there. That's right. So uh, tell us about your experience at the Oregon Beer Fest. Tell us, uh, write to us with your questions or comments. Uh, you can find um, Jeff. He blogs at Beervana. He also blogs at the All About uh, Beer uh, site. Um, he tweets at Beervana. And the easiest way to be in touch with him and us in general is at the Beervana Facebook page. And Patrick uh, tweets at, at Beernomics and blogs at the Beernomics blog. And don't try to contact him because he wants no email from you. He wants you to contact me instead. So That's we'll right. give so, you his email. So contact, contact Jeff at the underscore beeraxe at yahoo.com. Uh, he is the beer axe. He speaks for the beer. Uh, so... Uh, we don't have anything to cheers with today. Uh, we'll just have to cheers with the memory of the great beers we, we had at the fest. Indeed. I'm still recovering. <laughs> All right. So would you, Jeff? All right. Cheers, Patrick. We'll see you next time.